We're going to keep going this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Last week, we saw the different things in the text. Um, and we saw several, I'm, I'm sorry, we saw several different things from the text last week. And number one, we saw how to confront and interact with believers, fellow, fellow believers. We are to come at a person from a respectful position about sin. Yet we indeed are to confront sin, but we do it in such a way that its, it's desire, its design is for reconciliation and redemption. Number two, we saw that the family was to take care of their aging parents. They are the group, the family is God's social security. Number three, those widows who are truly indeed widows are to be taken care of by the church. Now, it's interesting because Jamie and I were talking about this on the way home last night uh, with our friends in the car. And this is why I like doing exegetical preaching. When we go verse by verse, sometimes word by word, we cover things that are not necessarily the normal things that take place in the text. And so today we continue looking at the part B. We look at the, the second half of the text as to why or who is to be enrolled as a widow in the care of the church. And so... Paul writes to Timothy and gives him a, a very clear indication as to what this thing looks like. So we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and we're going to look at verse 9. <clears throat> start in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, and has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So we, we see a couple of things here in the text. We, we show that she must be an older woman. We show that she must be a one-woman kind of man. This is the same kind of language that was used in the text when it came to understanding the, the uh, qualifications for deacons and elders. This, is, this, this means that she is not a woman that is just running a harem of guys. She, has, she is a one-woman or one-man kind of woman. She, she must be a one-man kind of woman. This means, um, this is the, the terminology is the same that is used in the qualifications for elders and deacons. Verse 10 says the following. She is a Christian. She's a Christian woman who has served her family and has served the church well. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 37. We have a, a cross-reference here for this text. And we see a story about a woman named Anna. And she was a prophetess. And her name was Anna, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So this means that she was only married seven years to her husband, and then he died. Now in verse 37, we see her age. And then as a widow, 
until she was 84. So she lived with her husband and was married to her for seven years. He died, and then she follows after and, and becomes this woman who serves faithfully until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying day and night. So we see in the text here that this lady, she die, her husband dies, and she goes and she full on devotes herself to the things of God. So she is in the temple day and night, worshiping, feasting, or fasting, and there's a difference between fasting and feasting. Feast, fasting, yeah, fasting day and night. So this, this woman's dedicated her entire life to serving and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is her entire mindset. Um, my dad, when he pastored Trinity, there was a lady there named Shirley Coiner. And Shirley Coiner was a lady who would, would, would exemplify this. She was a missionary in her younger years with her husband. And her husband died. And she, like, he, he died relatively young. And she devoted herself to Christian missions and, and, and doing all the things that need to, to take place in um, the church. She served well. Wherever she, I mean, she would serve in any capacity. Vacation Bible school. Um, I mean, and she was, the, I mean, Robbie, you can remember, she, I mean, she was about this tall. And I'm not exaggerating. She was a short little lady, but she was spunky. Oh my goodness, she was such a fun lady to be around. And she, I remember the time she took me to OBU because she graduated from Oklahoma Baptist University and had a love for OBU that just rivaled anything else I'd ever seen. And it was just, it was wild. She took me there for senior day because she wanted to show it to me. So I said, I'd go with her. So I'm riding, she was probably in her 70s when we went and she gets out of the car and she does the corrupt dance that they had. This I didn't know what it was, and she jumped, I I got scared at first when she jumped out of the car. She goes and she started bouncing up and down, and I was like, as a senior in high school, going, "What is happening right now? What is happening?" And she just was like, "That's the thing we do here," and I was like, "Oh, okay." So she goes and she shows me this whole thing, and then as she aged up, she took care of my grandmother. She was faithful. She was a nurse. So she, she was a missionary in China, did mission work and nurse work in China, did all kinds of stuff. She was a nurse until she was in her 80s. And she just passed away just a couple months ago. She was in her 90s. Um, now, she had family that took care of her. She had a niece that took care of her faithfully um, and, and just well. And then at the, towards the end of her life, there were some folks in Trinity that, that ended up living with her and taking care of her and just serving her well. But man, I'm telling you, Shirley was an example of this where her husband died relatively young. They were probably in their 50s. And she served the Lord until her recent death and she was in her 90s. So it was, it was something cool to see. Now, the church, like I said, did not take care of Shirley. She had a niece that took care of her and, and loved her well. But the church did minister to her, but they did not physically take care of her. But we see in the text here that these are the kinds of ladies the church is to take care of. 
This, this is the type of women that the church is to take care of. So maybe you're saying, well, what if she's younger, Caleb? Because that happens. And I say, yes, it does happen. What, what are we supposed to do if, if someone's young and they're married and their husband dies? Then what do we do as a church? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's in the text. We'll keep going. Verse 11 in 1 Timothy. But refuse to enroll younger widows... For their passions draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going around from house to house. And not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies. Saying what they should not say. So I would have younger widows to marry, bear children, manage their households well, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So younger ladies, if your husband dies, go get remarried. That's what the te- you say, Caleb, how could you say that? That's what the text says. That's what the text says. <laughs> This is not the time for counseling. I mean, we're in, we've got to wait. <laughs> so verse 11 says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for their passions draw them away from Christ. Now, one translation says, Younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ, and they will want to remarry. And then verse 12 says, Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. So, it's not, not saying that, listen, if they get married again, they're not going to love Jesus the way they're supposed to. What this is saying, bottom line, is younger ladies who are widows, there's going to be a point in which you're going to catch the eye of, a, of another young fella. And if you say you want to be helped by the church, one of the things that's a prerequisite is you serve in the church. You minister in the church, ladies. If you're a widow that's being taken care of by the church, you serve the church. And so if you have these expectations on you to serve the church, and guess what? As a younger woman, you're going to potentially catch the eye of a younger man. And he's going to be like, hey, just like I saw Jamie in the toothpaste aisle, I thought she was pretty. And then I ask her, I ask her for her phone number, and guess what? She said no. She said, go on, stop talking, or talk about something different. Is that what I'm trying? I'm getting mixed signals here, sweetheart. All right. This is out of control. I've got to take stay on my notes. So the idea here is not that, that, that if you get married later, again, that you're going to draw yourself away from Christ. But no, rather, what's going to happen during that dating process is, listen, you're going to want to get married and do the things that married people do. And guess what? That is potentially going to draw you away from the things that you said you're going to serve the church well. That's not going to cause you to... Don't, so don't get, don't get on the list, younger ladies. Go get remarried and find yourself a husband and then dedicate yourself to being a, a woman who manages your household well and serving Christ well. Why? So that the adversary doesn't have a, a, a way to condemn you. I know that we... like this is, this is a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. And, we, and listen, I know that everybody has good intentions. It was all, all right, I'm gonna, my husband's now gone. I'm going to dedicate my, I know I'm 
32 or whatever. I'm a younger lady. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate myself to serving the Lord. I'm gonna, I got good intentions. That's awesome. That's fantastic. But, but, when you, when you do indeed catch the eye of another man, there's going to be a point where you're going to want to do things that married people do, and there is only one acceptable way for that to take place, and that is in the covenantal bonds of marriage. And I know that we live in a culture right now that says, hey, if you love somebody and he loves you and she loves you, then just have fun and go, just go do your thing. Well, I need you to hear me on this. That is not acceptable in the economy of God. In God's eyes, that is called fornication, and that is not to be accepted. And you will, if unrepented of, will incur the wrath of God on your head. So Paul tells Timothy to younger widows, go get married. It's not a bad thing. Go get remarried. Several months ago, I was asked by the students over here in the annex. Nicholas remembers this. I was asked a question. We, had, we did a Q&A question on, on Wednesday night. And one of the questions was, is it a sin to have premarital sex? That was the question that was asked. And I referred back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-9. through 9. To the unmarried and to the widow... I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But, so Paul here is saying, listen, if you indeed are a widow, if you're unmarried, it's actually better for you to be unmarried and stay that way because you can minister and do things for God. But we have the coordinating conjunction in the text. But, if you cannot exercise self-control, you should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So I said to this group of young people, if you've got the urge to merge, go get married. And you know what? That's all they could remember out of that entire message. (laughs) The entire message that night, all they could remember, Nicholas could remember, the urge to merge. That's all he could remember. And so... Did I get an amen over from this group or not? Just checking. All right, just checking. Listen, I don't want to make a side note here. Fellas, young men, God God has designed you as young men to slay dragons, conquer kingdoms, and win the girl. Why do you think your favorite stories, your favorite movies have that theme because that's what God has put inside you man I'm calling you this morning to be the kingsman that God designed you to be and go follow in the footsteps of the master dragon slayer honor him with your life destroy strongholds conquer kingdoms and build an altar to the king of kings and the lord of lords and make your family worship at that altar. Lead your family to worship at that altar. You are a man and called to pursue the girl. Ladies, listen. If your man isn't pursuing you, and you're dating him, and, he, and you're pursuing him, stop it. Come on. Yeah. Stop it. 
God designed men to pursue women. That is, that is a, that's a recipe to, for disaster. You are the man and you're called to pursue and lead her. Not the other way around. Ladies, let him pursue you. Don't be do the pursuing. Make him do the work. Because God designed men to work. It is not evil. It is pre-fall. Before sin was even entered into the equation, God said, work, work is good. Go do it. Make your man work. That's how God designed it. That's my side note. I'll step off that. Now we'll go back. Back to the text. If you're a young widow, get, get remarried. Go be a homemaker. And it's laid out here in the text. The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Furthermore, we see why younger women are not to be on the list in verse 13. Look at verse 13. At the same time, they are also, they learn to be idle and they go around from house to house and not just merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things that are not proper to talk about. What, what's the old saying? Idle hands are the devil's workshop, and an idle mind is the devil's playground. And when younger women go around and begin to talk about things that they should not talk about, did you hear about sister so-and-so? Did you hear about brothers? Did you hear the news? Did you hear the tea? Did you hear what's going up, 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 up? And then like the next thing you know, you've got all kinds of issues. I've got a dear brother in Christ who just was let go from a church because they had a women's group that was out of control. They loved them. You talk about a wildfire of gossip. He finally, he had to try to shut that down and they fired him over it. One translation says in this, if they are on the, if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about things that they shouldn't. That's pretty, that's pretty plain. But it's the truth. Amen. We see it all the time. And I know our culture, we don't think that gossip is wicked. But God lists gossip as a damnable sin. It's evil. Romans chapter 1 verse 29 says, They are filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and their gossips. Gossiping is in the same category as murder. I didn't use it, Caleb. I don't like that. I, I don't care. That's God's word. This is God's word here. He said, don't be a gossip. John MacArthur once said, the effects of slander are always long lived. Once lies about you have been circulated, it is extremely difficult to clear your name. It is a lot like trying to recover dandelion seeds after they have been thrown out to the wind. My wife used a great illustration the other day. She said, your words can never be taken back. It's like taking a tube of toothpaste and pushing that tube of toothpaste all over the table down here. And then giving somebody a toothpick and say, okay, put it back in the tube. Words can't be taken back. 
So Paul tells Timothy here, younger ladies don't need to be sitting around becoming lazy and letting the church take care of them. They need to get married and they need to be workers at home. They need to be, they need to be managing their home well. Verse 14 says, So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their homes. The, then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. Listen, the enemy is looking for ways to take you out of the equation. He wants to discredit you. He wants to destroy your minds. He wants to tear you apart. And listen, Satan doesn't care how he gets you as long as he gets you. So why is, why is Paul telling this ultimately? Because the devil will indeed do his best to destroy your reputation and, to, and your reputation as a Christian and as a person. So don't give, the, don't give Satan a foothold in your life. Don't give Satan a foothold in your home. Don't, don't leave the door cracked open to bitterness and gossip and anger and, and idleness. Like that's another one we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about slothfulness in our culture. Like these are sins that God talks about in the text. Gossiping, laziness, slothfulness. God says work hard and don't talk about each other in a, in a mean, vicious way. So we see in verse 15 that some have already gone down this path. Verse 15 says, And some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So Paul says here, basically, younger widows, ladies, go get married and be diligent to take care of your children and your husband. Take care of your home. Manage your home well. And finally, we see in verse 16, it, it's pretty straightforward in verse 16. I, I, I really don't need to exegete the text. Because if, if i got to exegete this text, we got a problem. If any believing women have relatives who are widows... Let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. So if, if a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she should take care of those people, those widows. Don't put the responsibility back on the church. Why? So that the church can actually take care of the widows who are actually, truly alone in this world. I said this last week. God's ultimate social security is the family. That's, listen, Shirley Corner, when she died, or when, when her husband died, they did not have children. But she had a niece. And her niece took care of her. Her niece was her chauffeur. Her niece took care of her. She did all the things that were necessary to take care of that woman. That's biblical. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, that woman must take care of them and not put the responsibility back on the church. Why? So the church can take care of those who are genuinely widows. This is, this is the calling of the text. This is, how, this is what the, how the church is to be run. Because listen, if, if the church was, well, the church needs to take care of all widows, well, then we'd be bankrupt and we'd have no, there'd be no way we could actually take care of people that need to be taken care of. 
The calling in the beginning here is, listen, families take care of each other. Don't, don't forsake one another. And the calling here is, listen, be, be, a, be a woman of integrity. And if you're a believer in Christ, do what the text says. Do what the text says. Follow after what God has called you to do. God designed the family to love and take care of one another. And if a woman does not have a family, then the church is to take care of her. And she in turn will serve the Lord in the church. Glory to God. Glory to God. That is his word. This is what it says. And this is, this is the, the direction, the directives of the text. It is not. And I, listen, I know that this is not your normal. Hey, it doesn't sound very evangelistic, Caleb. Well, that, listen, this right here, this season of life, this corporate gathering is not primarily pushed towards evangelism. Now, should we say that Christ is to be glorified, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and you need to repent of your sins, and you need to trust the gospel? Yes. But you know what the primary objective of the corporate gathering is? To help edify you and educate you in the text. And then you go out in the world and begin to teach what you've learned here. So, what have we learned here in the text today? Families are to take care of each other. If you're a widow, you're younger, go get remarried. And side notes, I just put it here just for my own, my own personal. That we, we need to have men who are willing, ready, and able to love. You, listen, fellas, you need to be leading your girl to the feet of Christ, not the foot of your bed. Come on. Yes. Lead your lady to the feet of Christ, not to the foot of your bed. Because why? It honors God in this way. And I know, you know Caleb, this doesn't sound, this is a little rough. I, I'm just reading the text. The text says that your passions are going to draw you away potentially. It, they're there. That's, that, the enemy is, listen, the enemy has a desire to draw you away and destroy you. We've got to make war on our sin. John Owen says if you don't be killing sin, sin will be killing you. So you've got, and listen, I know that it is, it is way easier to stand behind this sacred desk and say, hey, go do these things. When it actually comes down the street and there's the struggle to resist and fight sin and to say, I want to live biblically. I've said this for, for four years here. There is a difference between those who identify culturally as a Christian versus those who are actually biblical Christians. Period. So the, the idea in the text here, and, and we see this next, the next part of this text as we start to see, we, he, he reiterates in the end of chapter 5, talking about elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor preaching the text. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except in evidence for two or three witnesses. Now we start to unpack why it's important that elders be given the respect and honor that they deserve. Now that doesn't mean elders as in age. This is talking about, remember back in the early part of 1 Timothy, those who are the, the under shepherds of the church. 
the elders, the, the deacons, those who care for the church. And do not be hasty to lay hand. Now, I know that there are people on TBN right now like, um, what's his name? I've forgotten his name. The guy that does the healing crusades. He likes to try to use this text to say, you can't talk about me. He's not, re- he's not interpreting this text at all properly. He's, he's a charlatan and a fake. But he tries to use this text as, Do not lay hasty hands on the... On, or do not, do not be hasty to lay hands, nor take part in the sins of others, but keep yourself pure. So here's what... Be a man or woman above reproach. Don't, don't try to use this text for your own selfish gain, but rather read it in its context. Be a man or woman of integrity. Be a man or woman who loves the Lord. Uh, listen, this is, this is the truth of the matter. I think that too many people who say they're Christians love their sin more than they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they love their sin more than they love Jesus, they, are falsely, they, they falsely have an assurance that is going to be pulled out from underneath them on the day of judgment. There's going to be a day and a time when you think that you're a Christian because you went to this church. Or because my name was on a roll somewhere. But there's no desire to kill your sin and get rid of it. And to love and supremely serve Jesus Christ above all else. And there's going to come a day when that rug is going to be pulled out. So the scripture says, do not be hasty of the laying on of hands. Nor take part in the sins of others. But keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Don't don't chase after and follow after the things of the world, but keep yourself pure. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to see God? You need to have a pure heart. Well, how do I get a pure heart, Caleb? You need to repent of your sins and trust the gospel. Where you've not had a pure heart, own that to the Lord. God, I haven't had a pure heart. I have been lustful. I have been prideful. I have been arrogant. God, forgive me. And guess what? 1 John 1, 9 tells you the truth. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just. Who's the one that's faithful? Well, Caleb, I'm faithful. No, you're not. We're the unfaithful ones. It's Jesus who is faithful to us. Glory to God. Jesus is faithful to us to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. All of your sins can be forgiven if you just simply lay them at the foot of the cross. Woo! Well, that's the hope. That's the hope is that we follow after the Word of God. We look at the text and we say, Jesus, you're to be made much of. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for giving it to us. Use it for your glory. That men and women would be saved sanctified and edified for your glory and for your kingdom alone. That's what we hope for. That's our prayer. That's our desire. Let's stand together.